You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. In light of the events that have been happening over the last uh, week, 10 days here in our country, Charlottesville, Virginia, rallies or various places around the country yesterday, most uh, notably Boston, and now the possibility of a, a rally, a controversial gathering here in Lexington. I, I thought it was time that I said a couple things. And uh, So in light of all of that, the Declaration of Independence says these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As great a document as the Declaration of Independence is, the Bible is even more sacred in the context of my life and the value that I place on it. The most sacred of all documents. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Since every person that you and I will lock eyes with at any time, any place of our lives, those people that we look at have been created in the image of God. And Jesus came and he died for all of mankind. There was not a qualifier there that said, I'm dying for these people, but not for these people. And our nation's forefathers, many of them men of faith, directed by the Scripture, specified that we're all created equal. So with all of that combined, I think we should be able to agree, as Christian brothers and sisters, that behaviors that focus hatred toward another person based on race or religious heritage, or for any other reason for that matter, should never, ever be tolerated. Ever. As Christians, I hope that we can agree that there's never a time or a place for racism. There's never a time or a place that we should hate another individual. I've been studying the Bible for a long time now, and I can't find that there, where God gives us the green light to hate someone. I understand that our city is now in the preparation stages for this possible protest by a racist group, which will more than likely attract other people who will come to our great city to oppose them. Thus, that makes Lexington ground zero for at least a few days anyway. Political violence is a virus that will spread unless people like us do something about it. So the question then is, what can we do and what should we do? And just for a few moments this morning, and I promise I'll I'll get into the talk that I prepared, I want to share five things very, very quickly, take us three minutes that we can do to build bridges to what is right. I think we all want that. What is best for our community? The first of these bridges uh, is unite through diversity, not division. Unite through diversity, not division. Let's, Let's come together. The reality is we're all different. We're different in this room. We're different Uh, outside of this room, in our city, there's a lot of diversity, racially, politically, religiously. There's a lot of different people around. But what would happen if we came together? It doesn't mean we have to agree with each other on everything, but we came together. 
and just said, hey, you know what? We're going to support each other. Why not take some time over the next several weeks to build relationships with other people who are just a little different than you? Again, you don't have to agree with them politically. There will be things about their religious faith you don't agree with. But can't you, can't you just be friends? Can't we, can't we just build a bridge to them? Number two, speak out as a witness for justice. Speak out against hate, but do it without being hateful. That's really hard sometimes for a lot of people. This is what Jesus said in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So speak out as a witness for justice. Number three, encourage Christians who disagree with racism and hatred and bigotry not to be silent. Many people see silence as a passive endorsement. You may not be endorsing it, but for some reason on this topic and this issue, we need to take a stand. So make it clear that you oppose this hatred. Make it clear that you oppose racism on any level. Number four, let's downshift the rhetoric with regard to racism, hatred, and division. Some of you need to stop feeding the fire on social media. Escalating the anger and hatred is not helping, and I can promise you it doesn't honor God. Someone made the comment that I'm a part of a church that's filled with racists. And they were talking about us. That stung me at the very core of who I am. We are not the sum total of who we voted for or who we voted against. We are here to honor God. And not just in this hour, but every hour of our lives. So let's dial it back a little bit. I don't think it's helping the situation. James says in James 1.19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's good. That's wise, wise talk. So let's temper the rhetoric. And then number five, maybe the most important. Let's pray that Jesus is made known. The Bible tells us he's the prince of peace. And the truth is he can bring light to even the darkest of hearts. As his followers, we should be ambassadors of that peace. So let's pray for others to see Jesus. And most importantly, that they see him in us. Let's do this. We can make a difference. We can make a difference. Maybe just in one part of a cul-de-sac. Maybe in just one school. One, one neighborhood. But we can make a difference. If we do some of these things this week and the weeks to come, and maybe we just make them part of our life, we can change our world. Let's be the church that God called us to be. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for um, this body, and I I praise you, God, for them. Lord, I know that um, none of us in this room are perfect, and some of us have made um, terrible mistakes especially in the context of this discussion. And others have been hurt by those things. And Lord, we pray for healing in our city. God, we, we know you are the God of our city, and we claim Lexington in your name. 
And we pray that you'll work through the Holy Spirit through our lives to meet hatred with love. Every time we meet hatred, that we would greet it with love. Lord, please heal our land from the evils that are infecting it right now. And let us see Jesus at work through us. Let the world see him in our lives, not just in the hour that we spend here on Sunday, but in every hour of our week. God, we can make a difference. We can fix this with your help. Help us to be change agents, ambassadors of that peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for allowing me to share those thoughts, and I hope they're encouraging to you. It is great having all of you here this morning. We're on week three of this You Are More series, and if you missed week one, we talked about the labels that uh, oftentimes define us. They brand us. Somebody said something years ago, we believed it, and we've just kind of lived down to that our entire lives. And you are more. God says you are much more than the sum total of those labels that were ascribed to you. And then last week, we dealt with a, a really healing message as we looked at Why should I forgive those who've hurt me? And how should I forgive those that hurt me? And if you've missed either of those talks, I hope you'll go back and and watch those online and listen to them on the the, uh, podcast. But next week, we're going to be talking about overcoming our personal failures. You know, many of us have sinned against God, and we've made mistakes that have hurt other people. And we understand that God has forgiven us, but we've been having a real difficult time forgiving ourselves. And so we're going we're gonna to tackle that in the final talk of this series. But today I want to talk about what I think is a really important biblical principle. And I want to illustrate it this way. If I were to ask you this question, have you ever had anybody lie to you, disappoint you, betray you, uh, hurt you in one way or another? Probably every hand in this room would go up. But if I were to ask you, how many of you have done those very things to another person or other people, a lot of us would be a little more hesitant to admit that we were the offender. Because, you know, it's easy to be quite honest with you, to play the role of victim. Messages that we hear over and over again about how we should forgive those who hurt us, they're pretty common in the church. But it's it's more rare to hear a talk that says, hey, you need to take responsibility for the times that you've hurt people. So what I want to talk about today, and I want to do it using Scripture, which is a good thing, you know, in my line of work. I want to talk from the Bible about what we do when we're the person who has hurt somebody else. And we're going to start with the very words of Jesus in Matthew, the fifth chapter. So if you want to open your Bible or your tablet or smartphone to John 5, or Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching this important message. He's in this section where he's talking about relationships and how we interact with each other. And then verse 23 and 24, we read this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and what he's saying there is if you're, if you're in the temple, you've gone to the temple, or in our context, you're going to church, and you're offering your gift 
before the Lord. You know, it's about time for the offering. And then it says, and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. In other words, it comes to your mind, you remember that you hurt a friend of yours. You let somebody down, and they're really disappointed in you. Or you've offended someone, and, and it comes to your mind, and you, you suddenly realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you're coming in to worship God, but you remember this, and someone that you love is upset at you. Your relationship isn't what it's supposed to be, and it's your fault. When that comes to mind, Jesus says, this is what you should do. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. And then he says, first, before you give your gift, he says, go. Now, the, there's kind of an interesting thing going on with this Greek word, go. The, uh, the verb tense for this word implies an intense action. So what he's saying here is that, in other words, it may mean that you, when you go, you have to travel to make this happen. Or you, there's work there's work that's going to be hard to do in order to go. Or maybe there's some obstacles that you're going to have to overcome. Whatever the case is, he says, go, even if it's a challenge for you to get there. It's time to go. Just leave your offering right there at the altar and go. That's the first thing. He says, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. I can't think of another time in Scripture, where the Bible says there's something that takes a higher priority over the worship of God. But that's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, before you worship God, go straighten this out. Before you worship God with your giving, go and reconcile with the person that you've wronged. Our oldest daughter, Bailey, was four years old at the time, and she said something disrespectful to her mother one evening, and we had one of those teachable moments, you know, as a parent, you have those teachable moments where you talk about what happened, and then we explained why it was wrong. I mean, she's only four years old, and then we explained how to repair it by apologizing to her, to her mother, and we, we kind of laid it off there, made real common sense, and there was just one problem. She said she didn't want to apologize. And she was a strong-willed kid. I mean, really, she was set in her ways. And so um, we set her in time out just to think about things and explain that all she had to do was apologize to her mom, and then her life could go back to normal. But she refused. And so she sat there and sat there. And I actually had to wake her up one time because she dozed off in time out. And finally, she realized we weren't bluffing. And so she, real, she agreed to apologize to her mom. And she did it somewhat reluctantly. And then we hugged because that's what we always did after we disciplined our kids. We hugged them. We wanted them to know that we love them. We don't love the actions, but we love them. And she not only didn't want to apologize, she didn't want to hug either. I mean, it was just one of those moments. But she did start to learn in that experience the importance of repairing relationships and taking responsibility for her actions when she was the one that caused the heartache or the hurt. In so many ways, that's what I think God is saying in this text. Don't come in here and do your church thing. Don't come in here and just lift up hands of praise, or if you grew up charismatic, you know, dance a little bit in the aisle. And don't come in here and take notes and feel like, man, I got all this biblical truth down, and then go to your class and eat a donut and feel a little guilty, but eat another donut. Don't come in here... And do this religious thing when you're not loving and working hard to bring reconciliation in your relationships. 
Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. What do peacekeepers do? Peacekeepers try to avoid confrontation to keep peace. They want to avoid as much confrontation as possible. Now, it's not bad being a peacekeeper. I mean, it's way better than being a troublemaker. But Jesus says, don't just be peacekeepers. That's what some of us are in our relationships. We say things like, oh, let's not fight about this. Let's not fight about it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just pretend like nothing is wrong. And we sweep it all under the rug. Let's just kind of fake it. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, we know deep down Really, this relationship isn't where it's supposed to be. But the truth is, I don't want to fight. I don't want to go through a difficult time. I just want to act like everything is cool. And that's what peacemaker, peacekeepers do. But Jesus is saying, peacemaking is far better. Peacemakers embrace confrontation to make peace. Jesus said, go before you offer your gift. Go Initiate a conversation. Try to find reconciliation. Apologize for the part that you made that was wrong, how you hurt someone. Do whatever it takes, even if you have to walk through some difficult times to get there in order to make peace in a place where there is no peace. Ann and I had been married probably about eight months. And I had started in ministry full-time two months earlier. I was working long hours not wanting to disappoint any of my bosses. And when you're the assistant youth minister, everybody on the staff is your boss, okay? Let's be honest. Ann was working a full-time job. Our lives were going really fast in a lot of different directions. And then one night, as I was getting ready to leave, she said, do you have anything tomorrow night? And I said, no, I don't think so. And she said, good. We're having dinner here at the apartment tomorrow night, and we're going to talk. <laughs> that last phrase sent a chill up my spine. I said, talk about what? She said, show up tomorrow night for dinner and you'll find out. Well, the next night we had dinner and she explained that I'd been gone nearly every night that month. And when I was home, I was exhausted. She said, That's not, as much as I love you, Monty, I'm pretty sure that that isn't what marriage is supposed to be. So unless things change right away, she was talking about moving back to Iowa. I could tell you that she had my full attention at that moment. Now, I wasn't sure whether my wife would actually go through with that, but I wasn't going to take the risk. And so I made changes in my schedule the next day. And I've tried to honor those changes and adjustments to the best of my ability ever since then. See, Anne is a peacemaker. She's not afraid of conflict. She'll always take it on in order to make peace. In fact, there are some times where she and I have had some really serious fights. I mean, I got to tell you, there are times when we're arguing and we're fighting, and it always comes to this point, though, where she comes to me on her hands and knees. I promise you this. And she says, get out from underneath that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. That's not true. She can never find me. <laughs> Seriously, we both are committed to working it out, whatever the conflict is. We're not going to go to bed angry with tension. At least we try not to. We're going to work it out. So let's be peacemakers and be willing to endure confrontation if that's what it takes to make peace in all of our relationships, especially the important ones. 
but all relationships. You know, the enemy of peacemaking is pride. And, you know, don't nudge the person next to you and go, I believe God called you here to hear this today. You, the enemy, that's not right. The, the enemy of peacemaking is pride. But the best friend of peacemaking is humility. You show me a relationship with tension, and I'll show you one that generally has two people in it who say, I'm not going to apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have to say I'm sorry for this. If I did a little bit, you did most of it. If you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't have done what I did. And I'm not going to apologize. At least I'm not going to apologize first. So in situations like those, that, that kind of situation, there's always three sides to every story. There's his side, and there's her side, and then there's the truth that usually occupies someplace in the middle. And with pride, what you'll find is almost every ongoing relational struggle is that there's not just one person that's at fault here. There are two people at fault. And I don't care if that person is a massive jerk on steroids. You're still part of the problem in some way, and you need to own your part of it. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, especially those who you love the deepest. I'm serious. If you have done 1% or 2% of the wrong, you still own that percentage. That Even though it's only 1% or 2%, you apologize for your 1%. And just for the record, this is just a little helpful tidbit for those of you that are married or in a serious relationship. This is from a guy who's been married a number of years. Don't bring up statistics, okay? Don't bring up percentages. Don't come in and say, hey, listen, um, I know I'm guilty of about 1% or 2% of this, but you own the 98% of this problem, okay? So on behalf of myself, I apologize for my 1%. What do you have to say about your 99%? Um, That's not going to go well. I can just tell you that it's not going to go well. Humility, on the other hand, says this. I do my own, I do own, excuse me, the part of this that's mine. And I actually have been wrong. And I can see that. And I'm going to be faithful before God and you to humble myself. And here's what happens when you humble yourself. You elevate the relationship above yourself. And even if you feel like you're in the right, what you do is you say, I love this person more than I love being right. I love this person more than I love being right. How much could God do in your heart if you would take pride out of it and replace it with humility? And by humility, God could make, make you not just a peacekeeper, he could make you a peacemaker. So, first thing, go and do what you can to make it right. When we start a talk like this, somebody's picture comes to your mind. Somebody who is not happy with you or they've been offended or hurt by you, I want you to to put it down. This week, I'm going to go and I'm going to make things right. Now, what I want to do for the remainder of this time that we have this morning is, is specifically talk about how to apologize with integrity. You know, there's a right way to apologize, and then there's a wrong way to apologize. Don't ever say, if I did anything wrong, I'm sorry for that, okay? That is not an apology. That's a cop-out. Don't say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt, you big fat baby. Okay, that, 
That's not an apology. That's just being a jerk, okay? Don't do that. Let's talk. I want to talk about the five vital components of apologizing, okay? The first one is this. When you apologize, take ownership of specific actions and attitudes. Get specific because there's something very healing when you say, here's what I did, and you name that. You say, I'm really sorry I yelled at you. Or, you know what? I lied, and I shouldn't have done it. I'm embarrassed, and I'm humiliated by it. I'm sorry that I lied. Say it. Say it. I gave in to my lustful desires. I did something that was heartbreaking to you. I'm so sorry. I will do everything I can to earn back your trust. You should be very specific in your apology. Now, some people say, but I didn't do anything. And that's part of the problem, too. Some people need to apologize for not doing anything because often it's what they didn't do that warrants the apology. Theologians break sin into two basic categories. There's the sin of commission. These are, these are things that we commit, sins that we commit when we go against the law of God. God says that you shouldn't do this, and then we do that. That's a, that's a sin of commission. But then there's the sin of omission. The sin of omission is when we do things that we should, that we sh- when we don't do things, excuse me, that we should have done, then that's a sin. And by not doing them, we're actually sinning. I'm convinced that there are many relationships that would be healed if we'd apologize specifically for the things that we didn't do. I'm sorry, I didn't protect you. I should have. I'm sorry, I was so busy working that I neglected our relationship. I'm so sorry. One night, following an elders meeting, I went with several other staff guys out to get something to eat. The meeting that night went extremely long, and so it was really, really late when we went, and the only place that was open was Waffle House. This was before cell phones, so I left the church building not even thinking to make a call home, and I didn't have a a phone with me, and so I'd never called. And after being at Waffle House for about an hour... I was just looking out the plate glass window when all of a sudden I saw my wife standing there. She had her coat on over her pajamas, and she had a look like something you would read of in a Stephen King novel, okay? She wasn't smiling, it was just deadpan, and she was staring right at me. And once we had locked eyes for about 20 or 30 seconds, she just turned and disappeared. If only way this could have gotten worse is if there was a thunderstorm going on. I got my check, and I went home as fast as I could. And when I got home, she told me that she woke up in the middle of the night, and I wasn't there. And she tried calling the church, and she actually even drove out to the church, and all the lights were out. And she started to think, where would he go? And so she went to the one place that she thought I would go, Waffle House. What a reputation. And then she said this, I wondered why you hadn't called me. She was right. And I apologized at that moment for not calling. Apologize specifically when you do something wrong. When you apologize, number two, when you apologize, don't make excuses. This happens gazillions of times every week. A guy gets caught looking at pornography, and he's not a bad guy, but he got tempted, he got lured into this, and then he gets caught. But then he does something that I think is, 
is tragic. He tries to blame his wife. He tries to transfer the blame of this behavior on his wife. He says, well, if you'd have been there meeting my needs, I wouldn't have sinned. Or, you know, if you hadn't been so insensitive, or this is just the way I try to cope with your insensitivity. Listen, own your mistake. If you're lustful, or if you're a liar, or if you've betrayed somebody, you get, you sin, whatever it is, don't make excuses. Own your mistake. And simply say, I'm sorry, I betrayed you, period. Don't make excuses. Number three, when you apologize, accept the consequences. When you sin against someone else, you hurt them, you betray them, there will be consequences for that behavior. Accept those consequences. If you've you've gossiped or lied about your best friend, don't be surprised if your best friend is a little bit slower in trusting you in the future. That's the consequence of your behavior. You're going to have to rebuild some trust with them. If you're a 17-year-old student and you drive home drunk and you apologize to your parents when they find out that night as they greet you at the door, and you're, you're, you're embarrassed by this, you own it, and they forgive you. But then, they take your car away for three months. Don't be a baby about that. That's the consequence. You're lucky it's only three months and not six months. You're lucky it's not a DUI. It's stupid to be driving drunk. Just, just public service, don't drink and drive, okay? Can we agree on that? Losing your car is just the consequence of it. A guy has an affair with a coworker. His wife learns about the affair and is absolutely devastated. The husband wants to save his marriage, and he tells me he'll do whatever it is he has to do to do that. His, the truth is, his wife doesn't trust him at work anymore because of this coworker. And so she says, "If you truly want to save this marriage, quit your job." And he does. He does. That's the consequence of his behavior. Part of the apology is owning the consequences. That's the right thing to do. So say, I'm sorry, and I take responsibility for this bad behavior. Accept the consequences. Number four, when you apologize, change your behavior. Change your behavior. You did something wrong, you need to change. Don't yell, and then apologize for yelling, and then later on, yell again. Change your behavior. And if you need to, get some help, get some counseling, get around some Christian brothers and sisters, say in a life group or a D group or one of the Sunday morning classes around here, and ask them, maybe not the whole group, but, but one or two of them, hey, will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? Will you, will you ask me how I'm doing from time to time? Since that night at Waffle House, I try very, very hard. I don't think I've missed too many times where I haven't made a phone call or sent a text message because I want Ann to know the plan has changed. This is when she can expect to see me. Apologize. Change your behavior. Number five. When you apologize, ask for forgiveness. Don't just say, I'm sorry. But add to it some of the most powerful words that speak to the heart of the gospel. And that is to say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Several years ago, I was going through this time of introspection. And I was reflecting on the various seasons of my life. Maybe this was my midlife crisis, I'm not sure. But I started to notice that there was this common theme over much of my life. The trend that I noticed at several of these seasons of life, as I reviewed my whole life, was that I was really selfish almost my entire life. The longer I reflected, the more grief I felt. So I went to Ann 
one day and I explained what I'd come to realize and I apologized to her with the hope that she would forgive me. And I'm grateful to say that she did. It's important to ask someone that you've offended for forgiveness. Listen, don't be surprised if they don't come rushing right in and say, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you. It may take them some time, but it's important to ask for it. So apologize and ask for forgiveness. When a bone is broken, doctors tell us it heals. Where That place where it heals, it becomes the strongest point of the entire bone. Some of you are here today and you have broken relationships and you're part of the reason why it's broken. You may be the main reason. You may be the, the primary reason. You may be the 98, 99% reason why it's broken. And if you will do your part to fix it, with God's help, it can be fixed. But first you need to go. Don't wait. In just about a minute, I'm going to pray. And at that moment, guess what? Some of you need to sneak out of here and go and um, you need to walk out. You need to sneak out of here while we're praying and you need to walk out. Just get up, go. Don't even leave your offering. Just get up and go and make amends. Come back next week. Bring your offering then. Bring, bring that week's offering too, okay? I'm just saying, okay? But you're going to go. You need to go. And do what the Bible says and take responsibility for your part. Now, you can't control their response. But you're going to trust God with that other person. You have to do your part. I've been praying this week that God would take these broken relationships and he'd heal them. And that they would be stronger than ever before, just like that broken bone. We can apologize. We can take steps to fix it. And with God's help, it can be fixed. I want to challenge you to do that this week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for you being the God of second chances. And we need to extend grace to some who've hurt us. And we need to ask for forgiveness and apologize to others. Some of us need to slip out of here right now and go and apologize for something that we did, someone that, to someone that we've hurt or offended, someone we've betrayed or someone we've sinned against. We need to own our part of that relationship that's broken so that it could be fixed. God, I pray that you'll give us courage to be peacemakers, people who will speak up and step out and do what is right in order to fix the brokenness. I pray, God, that you would heal the relationships here that are broken. We know that they can be fixed if we're faithful and by your power and your spirit work through us. We know, God, you can heal those. And they can be stronger than they ever were before. God, please do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've never taken that step of faith to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you want to talk to someone about that, I'm going to be right down here to your right. I'd love to talk to you. Or maybe you just want somebody to pray with you. Um, Maybe this message has triggered something in you, and it's time. You know, you say, I just need to, I need courage. I need somebody to pray with me so I can go do this. I'd I'd be honored to pray with you. Let's stand together. Let's worship him. Meet me down over here to the right if you have a need.